Here's the situation, Rush. You look up to see a microphone in front of you, and you look down to see a laminated card with a number on it attached to a string around your neck. You turn behind you and see a big sign that says Scripps Howard Tune B. I'll leave it there. I'll explain right, well, more at the I'm, end. Uh, I'm Rush Howell. I'm TJ Jagodowski. And this is Here's the Situation, a real podcast about hypothetical situations. And TJ, uh, this week's theme is uh, Tune B or not Tune B. Right. Uh, not to be or not to be, but Tune T-U-N-E-B-B-E-E, or not O-A-R, but O-R, although... I, <laughs> oh, yeah, we I hadn't... Mean, why Why did I, we leave that one by well, the way yeah, it was? I may, I may do an or one later. <laughs> uh, and then uh, not K-N-O-T. Uh, so there we go. Tune B or not Tune B. Uh, as uh, has been the case for the last several of these, we are uh, recording during the ongoing quarantine. So to the extent that... Uh, the sound, uh, especially from my end, is not all uh, all that good. Uh, our apologies, although Nate does a terrific job taking uh, a very poor quality sound and, and making it uh, much, much better than it otherwise would be. So he, thank you, Nate, especially. He also uh, changes a lot. He also changes a lot of what we've said to sound slightly more intelligent. He puts in a lot of words that we didn't think of and, and stuff yeah. like that. So just imagine how Pretty dumb we sound without his post-production on this. Pretty embarrassing what he has to start with on these things. But uh, uh, as always, uh, I haven't heard TJ's situation. Nope. TJ hasn't heard mine. Nope. And so uh, let's, let's just get right into it. Huh? All right, buddy. Okay, TJ, here's the situation. Uh, you are on. You are tracking down a uh, a mad scientist, Ooh, dangerous, cool. dangerous uh, man. Uh, and he's, he's caused all sorts of problems. And you believe because uh, your contacts in the uh, in the government have led you to understand that he is responsible for the release of the murder hornet. No, okay, we've, you, I love bees. I love, yeah, bees. love bees. Right. So. So, of course, bees that has to do with this situation. Murder hornets are out there killing bees. Uh, the good news is after a significant effort, you track down the lair of this mad scientist mm. and to your great dismay you learn that indeed he is the one that created and released these murder hornets no but they are one of only six concoctions in his lab of sizes great or small uh each sounding more terrifying than the last with, <laughs> shockingly the murder hornets the least terrifying no. of the six horrible <laughs> things this guy has ginned up in his lab i would like you to tell the people what the next five things are coming from this uh, horrific mad scientist that hopefully uh, you'll be you you've been able to put a stop to. But what were the other five horrible things besides the murder hornet uh, that you ran into that you saw down in that lab? Uh, he's got fast flying shark down there. Oh no! All yeah, right, well, that's the worst. There's yeah. never going to be anything worse than a fast flying shark. Yeah, he's got um, horse horse sized gators. <laughs> yeah. Wait. So they're they're basically like gator size, but tall. Tall and fat, and can move like like horses. Okay. He's got. What's faster? What's faster between a gator and a horse? Um, over a short period of time, I think I think the pony might still be. I don't know what's top speed for a racehorse. They say gators can get it up to what thirty, twenty five, or thirty. I think the gator can can 
Yeah, 25 to 30. Yeah, but this is like tall with gator mouth at, you know, like head height. Oh, that's that's horrible. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm like not afraid of this horse sized gator. I'm, I'm quite afraid of it. Yeah. But- it's it's uh it's an interesting one. I mean, we got the fast flying shark. Yeah, that's just it's a complete debacle. Hopefully, that's a strong cage holding that thing in. Yeah, he's got um sentient and organized cockroaches, like human intelligent, oh. and oh, they're also aspirational. They have goals. Oh, no. oh yeah, Sent, sentient, organized, and aspirational cockroaches. Okay. Yeah. Yikes. He's got um. He's got a pill that causes random dog freak out. So you could be with a dog, like you could have a dog as a pet for like four years, and then Spazitola just goes at goes at everybody. Um, so you've like, been lulled into this like con, like he's in your bed, and you wake up one day and he's on your face. He's he's just so ripping. it's like uh, a very slow. Uh, or long latency yeah. drug, or like a kill switch. He's got like a Manchurian candidate kind of like kill switch on your uh, on your dog. So much worse than than having that on like a Denzel Washington. Oh yeah, and he's got Voltron birds. <laughs> well, I kind of like the idea of these. So it's they, kind of a cool it's idea. A bird that comes together to be a bigger bird. Like yeah, five birds. but if you imagine one of those like huge swirling swarms that instead of just like all moving in the same direction, they gather to create a beast that size, and then Ooh. yeah, and then it's got powers at that point, crushing powers and um, heat. It's got heat powers because it can flap its wings as a unit so fast that it creates like heat and wind and stuff like that. So okay, yeah. So now. Oh my! Well, those those are five great ones. I love this uh, these Voltron bats. I mean, that could definitely that's like a great. Oh, bats be might great, be. I uh, definitely thought birds, but it could be bats. I, oh, but, I'm yeah. sorry, I said bats. I wrote down bats. We, oddly, take uh, it. That's what he had. I misread the label. Yeah, Voltron I mean, bats. You could you could have said birds more clearly. That's great um, though. It's more of a nighttime. It's a, a nighttime attack. Oh, oh, oh sonar. Uh, so now. Um, there's a there's a there's a rough situation because uh, you hear him coming in there and uh, it's going to be bad news. Like you think all these things are going to be able to escape unless you go out through the exit in one of their cages. So you're going to have to choose one of these things to release onto mankind. Uh, there's just no there's no two ways about it. Which one? Uh, which one do you? Um, which one do you exit through, guaranteeing that this one will enter into our ecosystem? Oh man, I'm between random dog switch and uh, and the Voltron bats, and I think I'm gonna go Voltron bats. Okay, so you exit out of this like little cave part of it where all these Voltron <laughs> bats are stored up, and there's so many of them, and immediately they're like forming interesting formations and so forth. Uh, but the good news is, as you run out, you see there's like a kill switch in which you can uh, you can you can hit, and gas will fill the. Uh, the chamber of one of these other inventions. So there's one you're going to be able to guarantee you put a stop to no way to ever enter our world. Which one is, which one is just the worst of that. This is going to sound odd, but I might kill the random dog switch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because so you almost let it go. I almost did. But then I, then like after, uh, after I chose, I also think like, the relationship between man and dog, person and dog, has been so important and ingrained that we might find a way to, like, I don't know, hunt these other ones. But that that could effectively, that would probably effectively end 
the relationship between people being able to have dogs as a pet and that 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 seems wide in scope. So I think I'm actually going to gas that one and we'll figure out a way to deal with these sharks. Oh, I got to tell you, I, well, you said fast flying sharks. I was like, there's nothing he's going to say that I'm going to hate more than that. But then you said sentient and organized and aspirational cockroaches. I'm not sure. That, that's a that's a tough battle for me. So many, so many. I was going to do ants just because they're like they're already so organized. But if they were like had real goals, like you know, take over the world goals or whatever, I there's so many of them that I think they could get that done. And there's some ones that are not as nasty, but close to as nasty as those like murder hornets. Oh, to horrible. Now the last thing that you're able to do is you're running out, so you guess the, the pill will never come to life. To the Voltron bats are, are loose. Yep. Uh, and there's a last thing that allows you to open one cage to let two cages uh, interact with one another. So it doesn't guarantee the death of either, but you, you get to put two of these things uh, into one cell to see uh, see what happens. Which two do you put I together? Think, I think I have to pit against each other to make it fairly fair. Because the ones I think I would like to get rid of are the, the fast-flying shark and the organized cockroaches, but... I don't know if the cockroaches have a shot. You know, that just seems like a lot of circling. That seems like a really, that seems like a 15 round dance fight right there. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to put the horse sized uh, gators V the sentient organized uh, goal oriented cockroaches. Nice. Yeah. I think those, those horse sized gators can stomp those cockroaches pretty <laughs> Maybe. good. Maybe. So. Uh, who knows? But there's, there's who knows? a lot of them. They could start crawling up, crawling up some legs and stuff. And I don't know. Yeah, they're aspirational. Yeah. So they're they're not gonna go down without a fight. These fast flying sharks are gonna remain a possibility in the world, brother. Uh horrific. <laughs> horrific. <laughs> All right, good stuff. That was very fun. Uh you you had me weave my own trap there. That was very yes. very clever of you. Yes. All right, Rush. Um so this one's based on the entire phrase tune be or not tune be. And the the phrase made me think of what if Shakespeare had written so he writes Hamlet exactly as is except for it says tune b or not tune b and then okay. would they consider it like well this play is kind of perfect except for like there's six weird words in there man like otherwise it's a real it's a real gem so uh what i'd like to basically do here's the situation is i'd like to open a short discussion on the nature of perfection so sometimes we'll use the words like it was a perfect day i had a, at a perfect time it was a perfect meal um but is is was it actually perfect? If we looked at it, would there be six words, so to say, that we would say like, well, actually, I guess the crust on the pie could have been a little flakier or, you know, maybe a two degrees warmer would have actually been even more perfect or the the weight at the airport could have been could have been shorter. So could everything sort of be is perfection really an unattainable idea uh, ideal? Is there a thing in the world that is perfect or is everything like six words away? And does anything pop to mind for you that like, oh, it, it this would be perfect, except it's so clearly got this one imperfection. You know what I mean? Like you watch right. the, a movie or whatever. It was like there's there's a one moment that I, I I'm kind of glad I know about, but I almost wish I hadn't. And I don't consider The Untouchables a perfect movie. I think it's perfectly watchable. I think there's there's every eight minutes, there's something in there. But Sean Connery is so stupid to get duped to walk to the back door to then get right. shot. And then if you ever watch his death, he falls and his leg kicks up into the screen. 
that it makes it look more like a gymnastics move or like like you can almost hear like whoa with the way his yeah. leg kicks up and it was like that blows that that just blows they had to go almost deus ex machina to have him fall for something that was so clearly a trap when he was so savvy otherwise so that's a, just a long way to kind of get us into what what are your thoughts yeah. if any on the idea of perfection yeah, I, I we've talked about the Untouchables a few times. I, I have a problem with that movie because the it, it the amount of blood it, it's just it's so over the top. <laughs> it's like it's our, an artistic statement of some sort. I don't know you what's going on. You and, can't take the De Palma out of the movie, you know. Like I think I think I think you had to have a little De Palma still in there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. Um, all right, so let me start by saying, all right, yeah, I think perfection, um, very difficult to achieve, and I just think the longer something is, the harder the harder it, it, it is for every frame, right, to be excellent. So if you started with Hamlet, I mean, Hamlet is an extraordinarily long play. Uh, when we did it, I wasn't in it, but we, uh, when, 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 I, when I saw it and had some friends in it at, at, at uh, Princeton, they, they cut like huge chunks of that play wow. out and it was still over three hours. So uh, I certainly don't think Hamlet is anything close to, to perfection, but I also don't think you could write something uh, that length and have it be perfect. I, I, you know, if you think about the Lord of the Rings or something uh, is a book I really enjoy, but uh, I mean, there's, there's entire sections I breeze through or skip if I were to reread. We talk about like the NCAA or, you know, I know you think of the masters as, as if, if someone asks us like, ah, oh, that's, yeah, that's probably, is that as close to perfect as something, as something in the sports world can be, or is it perfect? Or is it like, ah, these play in games are ridiculous. The seeds are, are, you know, they haven't figured out how to properly seed or, um, definitely you know, not perfect. Yeah. I mean, there's two, there's the look, I mean, literature short story is the only place you might have a chance mm -hmm. okay you could have a short story where you might not want to change a word uh a poem is probably the, the actually the closest you could get maybe there's some episodes of arrested development or the british office or something that i would say you know what that thing was like 22 to, to 30 minutes or whatever and just was note perfect all the way through um you know, well arced, didn't have a single moment that I would, you know, look to go back and rewrite or whatever. Maybe some of like, uh, you know, some other TV shows that could be shorter could do that. Uh, I don't think there's a two hour movie out there that, that, that a director wouldn't want to go back and say, ah, you know, I could have done this thing slightly different. I mean, think about like the best scenes that you did at second city. You've got some of the great ones, you know, you've got, uh, baseball or whatever it was called with you and you and Dorf playing a father and son. You've got uh, fall or whatever it was called with you and Keegan doing the, the, you know, the leave raking in the front. I mean, those, those are two of the greatest scenes I ever saw. I imagine that if you went back and looked at it, you could say, ah, you know, there's this one note I might want to change slightly. And, th and those scenes are like five minutes, right? With, and I'm not saying maybe you're like, no, Russ, those were both perfect. No, I would without a doubt try and change many things, many things about them. Right. I, I don't so, even know if I would do them. <laughs> and so that, that's five minutes, right? Or maybe seven minutes or eight minutes yeah. or whatever. So so I think the, the quest for perfection is, is like kind of silly to begin with, right? Like, and, and it's a great cliche to say, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, which I think is, 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 is very true. Um, do you own, and, you know, I, do you own a game? 
that you consider perfect? Have you ever perfectly played a game? Have you ever, um, would you say you ever perfectly played a, a, a hand of cards or, or anything like that? Have you ever done anything perfectly, do you think? No, I mean, probably not, you know, like maybe a hand of cards. Sure. Right. Like, well, I got, I got the maximum money I could on that hand, but you know, I never ran a race perfectly. I never, I mean, just the longer anything is, the more decision points you have along the way, there's just no way you're going to do it. I just, I'm, I'm playing this game recently called spirit Island. That is probably my favorite board game. Um, I don't know what it's one of probably my 10 favorite ever, maybe, maybe even three favorite ever. Uh, and it's, it's, it's new to me. It's probably like three years old, a phenomenal, phenomenal board game. Um, and I think it was like five or six things that I would change about it. Um, and that, you know, and that's just, and that's just me. And then I I haven't even played it enough to see some other things come through. So uh, definitely I think perfection is kind of a fantasy, and uh, it's a good thing to kind of strive to do your best and, and always try to improve, like, uh, in all aspects. But, like, your goal ought not be um, perfection unless unless the way that you use it is just it's an aspirational thing where it helps you to keep pushing yourself. But if you're going to be, like, frustrated with anything less than perfection, um, th- then that's where we get the pejorative uh, connotation with the, with the word perfectionist, right? Um, because you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, "Oh my God, Spirit Island!" I don't like the, the the mechanism by which you draw cards, which I don't. That's one thing I don't I don't think quite fits with the theme and everything else. And say, "Well, so you know, back to the drawing board, Eric Roos." And said, "I'm like, what a what a game! Yeah. I mean, oh my God, this is like a combination of multiple things. It's so well done." And you know, I love the movie Hoosiers. I think like the love story with Barbara Hershey is just slapdash tagged on. Doesn't make a lot of sense. They don't need to have the thing about him having hit a kid. You know, there's a bunch of stuff that doesn't, you know, play all that well. Um, but it's it's a great movie, and I love it. And, you know, I, I wouldn't, like, say, oh, my, if, if only I could change that one part of it, you know? Yeah, I mean, even when you hear the phrase, I'm not sure. Yeah, you hear it in physics or science, and I'm not even sure if it's reality or if it's just a theoretical when they say, like, the perfect sphere or, you know, like... Um, it could, could, is anything like really exactly a foot long or if you got down to tiny, 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 is it like, well, it's off, but it's off by such a microscopic measure, you know, like that, that even when you hear the phrase, is it, is the assumption basically that, oh, it's it we're, we're, we're operating in the theoretical here. There is no such thing as a perfect sphere. Or is there a lab somewhere where they made, you know, like a perfect, a, you know, a perfect sphere or a perfect version of something, you know, like these, this, this pyramid is, uh, absolutely, you know, perfectly identical on every, on every angle or every side, you know, like, um, I wonder if, if really anything can be perfect or if pressed, you're always going to find six words you would change, you know? Uh, Look, but think about it. Like, so a diamond is like the cliche, like kind of concept of like, I mean, I, I'll sometimes, I, I like the movie Finding Neverland. I sometimes say it's like a diamond of a movie because there's no, there, and, and of course there, there are scenes you could easily cut and everything, but I just think it's like a nice, um, like not a lot of wasted space. It's not my absolute favorite movie, but I just like each part of it kind of leads to the next well. And I think it's well arced and so forth and so on. So I'm like, oh, it's like a diamond of a movie. But look, I mean, 
what's the perfect diamond? I don't know. I mean, people spend weeks or months looking at a lot of different diamonds for an engagement ring, and like they're looking for the perfect one of those. Well, I thought all diamonds are perfect. No, it turns out they're not. Well, if they're not all perfect, then probably none of them are perfect, right? And so, yeah. Let me ask you this. Sandwich-wise, yeah. cheese toast or something, have you ever had a perfect sandwich, a perfect bite, or anything of like, given the world of what what could be added or subtracted, I can't imagine this is that this could be more perfect than this. Yeah, like a thousand yeah. times. And yeah. and so for that for that, I think there's a threshold at which you can't really like the, the returns would be so diminishing if if they even exist above it that I'm like, that that's good enough, right? I am incapable of <laughs> judging like quality that's higher than this. I have that was with food all the time where I like I had this I had a cheat meal on uh January thirty first where I had a pastrami and Swiss sandwich at Three Greens Market <laughs> and uh every bite of that I mean I couldn't have been happier with each bite of that sandwich. And you know, sure, could you have done something slightly different, I guess, but who who cares? Like uh and, and I think um I've had plenty of days that I would say, boy, that was basically a perfect day. And you're like, well, Rush, you know, mm. would, are you sure? Because, you know, you, uh, you remember you, you, you had to take a shit for like 18 <laughs> minutes at one point on that day. That would probably wasn't really uh, likable. Would, I'm like, oh, would yeah, you have preferred finish. it be a little bit longer or a little bit shorter? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would, 20 minutes is a minimum for, for a great one. So, uh, you know, so of course there's always going to be stuff. Um, but but I, I think like, I, I think it's I think it's acceptable and desirable for us to occasionally lower the standards of what it truly means to be perfect and call something perfect and uh, and and revel in that because I mean heck that's the we, you got to enjoy it along the way. Yeah. All right. That was it. That was a little discussion on the nature of perfection, my man. All right. Very very good. Okay. So uh, I want to go with. Um, not uh, led me to this one, okay. uh, TJ. A um, little bit of an odd one, but we'll see. Great. So uh, here's the situation. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you uh, five things that are about the uh, uh, about a person. Five kind of random, seemingly pretty small things about a person. Okay. And I want you to rank them from uh, – first to last in terms of which one of these you think tells you the most about a person if oh. you know the answer to this about about them okay okay so i know that might be a little muddled but but here here's, here's the basics so uh first one is do they use a single knot a double knot or no laces when uh when tying their shoes okay Second one is, do they choose an aisle seat or window seat when both are available on an airplane or bus? Okay. Third one is, if whether they wash their hands when they enter the, a bathroom, when they exit a bathroom, or both. Okay. Shout out to um, Michael Shannon's speech about that in uh, The Shape <laughs> of Water. Um, next is, do they frequently nap or virtually never nap? Okay. And last is... Are they on all forms of social media? Not all forms, but quite a few major social media presence or has zero social media presence. Which of those five things, ranking top to bottom, do you think tells you the most about somebody knowing nothing else about them 
uh, other than that little fact. Okay, I am ready. First, All right, hit me. I'm gonna give the the uh, the least. The least uh, is nap. Um, I think I think that could mean a, a lot of things or nothing or. You know, some people like them, some people don't. I don't think that tells me. I know I've known nappers who are highly motivated, functioning people. I've known nappers who, like, that's their favorite thing, so they do it all the time and get absolutely nothing done. So it doesn't indicate a lot to me for for that one. So I'm going to say napping is last. Let me briefly interrupt you just to say I spent probably six minutes trying to come up with a a minor thing that I thought told me zero about a person. (laughs) And it was that one. Really? Okay, great. So we agree. (laughs) And it was the best one I could come up with where I was like, I, I, this doesn't tell, I mean, I gained zero from this. Like you tell me you nap some, I'm like, okay. Yeah. I hear you. Um, the next least I'm going to go with no laces, one knot or double knot. Um, I think probably the one that might tell me the most, if any of them tell me something is the double knot. Um, but I think some of these other habits might indicate that more, more strongly. Um, um, also like as far as like, whether it's this person likes to save time, this person's really fastidious, this person is really active. I don't, I don't, um, I don't think I could parse those well enough to say I feel it's a strong, as strong an indicator as some of these other ones might be. Are you a single knot? I know you're not a big sneaker fan, but are you a single knot or double knot? Um, I'm probably, I'm most often in uh, no laces. Um, I I got into like Chelsea boots and then slip-ons when I was traveling a lot. So I just did that more easily to get through security. But then I've become a fan of just these kind of beat around shoes that I wear all the time that have no knots. Otherwise, I'm probably a double knotter. um, Just because if I am going on a longer walk, I don't want to stop. You know, I have some shoes with slippery laces and I don't want to stop and have to retie that bullshit all the time. So I'll knot the hell out of them and, and maybe even sometimes leave them that way and just slip them on and off without untying them sometimes. Yep. How about you? Uh, never a single knot. Double knot, like almost all the time. But but like you, uh, I've, I've tried to get more and more into shoes that are like slip on um uh, for for travel, uh, although TSA PreCheck minimizes the need for that, but I do think getting around, like I got these on. Let me just put a, a, a advertisement in here for these on brand running shoes. Uh-huh. I only um, I only became aware of them because Federer uh, now works with the company, so I guess they've been popular for a couple of years and have become very popular. But they they are the most comfortable like walking and running shoes I've ever worn. I absolutely love them. And, uh, they, they come like their, their basic shoe, the cloud, uh, is like a walking shoe and comes with uh, a, a slip on, but it still has a lace on there ah. and it, like you never have any trouble with it coming off or whatever. Uh, I, I suppose you could run in it. If you were really going to run it, you'd probably tie it up a bit more, but, um, anyway, so, so I'm, I'm 90% double knot, 10% slip on, although that 10% has jumped to like 50% yeah. since I got these orange shoes, which I love. So these next two are the two closest ones um, for me. Um, so I could be talked, I could be talked into a flip flop of these, but I'm going to say the third most indicative because I have been both of these: a window sitter and an aisle sitter. Um, both were actually well. One I used to when I used to get 
you know, pretty loaded before a flight, I definitely would want the window. Um, so yeah. I would just try and sack out. I probably should have taken more aisles because I also frequently had to use the bathroom. But uh, but I, I, I took a lot of windows. Uh, but then when I started getting more anxious about flying, I stuck with the window for a while because it seemed I was told if you can look out and see the ground, it, it makes it seem like you're not moving as much because the ground is basically always in the same spot so that even if the plane is moving around, if you can see the ground, it, that that will help. As time got on and I got more anxious, I started worrying about like, oh, what if my bladder kicks and I have to get up like three or four times to go to the to the bathroom, then I don't want to have to walk by people. And if someone falls asleep, then I don't want to do that. So I moved, I moved to the aisle pretty much. So that tells me, and it's probably because, you know, I'm going through my own my own um, filter with this, my own personal, you know, journey with this. But I think that tells me a little bit, a little bit something. I, I would consider window people probably more at ease with flying and in general, maybe a little more chill. Um, even even the idea of like, oh, I'll just look out the window and, you know, see stuff. You're probably relaxed enough to be able to look out the window and see stuff where aisle people, I think, are more concerned with like, if I have to use the bathroom or just, I want to get off of here first. I don't want to wait even for these other two people when the plane lands. I want to get in the aisle and get the hell out of here or, I don't know, have a better chance of surviving a plane that's on fire. So I'm going to go with that one at three. Okay. And, and then two. Uh, just above that, I'm going to go with wash hands, especially wash hands as you enter the bathroom. That one seems like... I don't even want to... I mean, I think I could guess as to what that indicates, uh, you know, p- perhaps past a, a germophobia or whatever, but that I think says says a little bit more. And the not washing at all, which I also have been, um, said a little bit of something about me as well when I was like, when I, when I was, <laughs> when I was that too. So I think that's a, a more strong, a more strong indicator than some of the others. Okay. And, and lastly, so I'm going to say all on, so uh, on all social media or on no social media. I think that probably indicates and again it could indicate a variety of things my grandfather's on no social media but old people shouldn't necessarily be on on social media or know what the hell anyone's talking about when they even mention the phrase social media but for someone who's on all of it it just seems like so much attention being needed especially if they're common you know or frequent posters on on all of those things as well that seems a little a little needy to me i i imagine i would more likely uh, more easily become friends with someone who's on none than someone who's on all. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think um, that all makes sense to me. I think the the plane is probably lower for me. Like, I think um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I have trouble deciding between window and aisle. I think it, it matters on the duration of the flight and, and kind of the circumstance. But mm-hmm. uh, like, if I'm on a longer flight, I'm kind of a camel on those flights anyway. I usually don't have to go to the bathroom or can, can avoid going to the bathroom. And so I, I, if it's a longer flight, I'd probably rather the window. So the person's not walking past me a bunch. Um, but if it's a shorter flight, I might prefer the aisle just because, um, easy on, easy off in and off quicker and just save an extra minute and a half. I don't know why that really matters, but you know, and then also like, if you are on the aisle, it is nice that you don't feel the guilt about, uh, excuse me, you know, um, And then I think the shoelaces might might be a little more telling to me, but maybe not. Yeah. Do you think it says? Do you think it says something about you? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think like I, I think like when you have a double knot, 
it demonstrates that you're like a little bit of like a rule follower. You're a little bit careful. <laughs> you're a little bit like, uh, um, you know, you're, uh, a little OCD or whatever, yeah. you know? Um, and then I think if you have no laces, like you're a little, like it's, it's less the case now, but like, if you were like a no lace, uh, guy or girl, you know, 20 years ago, like, you, you know, I, I think that says something. I mean, I kind of like it. You know, you the, see, like you're easy going. I think the strongest possible lace indicator is shoe with laces, laces purposely untied. I think that's the strongest, the strongest lace message you yeah. can you can well, send like, right there. I'm an idiot. You know, I'm just looking. I'm looking to get injured, and tripping other people. And, like, the, the shoe laces undone is not a good. Thing. Right. All right, buddy. Um, so the phrase I took the phrase not tune. And yep. it put in my mind like maybe old like pirate songs or or even like scout songs, like literally songs that had knots in them or about how to tie knots or or what have you. And so um it that I expanded to think of like folk songs or work songs, even like Hi Ho from Snow White or whatever, you know, like the I don't even I I wasn't even sure what kind of name to put on them like occupational work songs or like because they're folky but they're not just like you know you know a folk song they they seem to have a purpose you imagine people um you know heading off to some labor to do them or involved in some specific activity um so here's the situation rush you have been familiarizing yourself with all the songs of americana cool so folk songs those work songs you know sailing songs i'm gonna throw a couple titles at you and you tell me what you know about it like the origins if it belonged to a a particular occupation or a group any other details that might come to mind okay cool so the first one is called arthur muncher the ticket puncher what do you know what do you know about about that from the americana songbook oh uh arthur muncher the ticket puncher um this was a uh, turn of the century. Uh, this is where we go from uh, uh, the uh, 18th to, uh, I'm sorry, from the late 1800s to the early 1900s. And um, in, in particular, uh, uh, this was based around like the World's Fairs ah. um, and uh, the developing kind of concept of the carnival and the circus and all of these uh, larger uh, communal um, uh, gatherings, and um, there was a uh, there was a, a song um, from workers that would that would be at these like carnivals or in, specifically at the at the world world's fair, and it was like a very uh, kind of sing songy, catchy, fun ah. tune that underneath had this like double entendre that was for uh laborers rights okay so it was you know um arthur muncher the ticket puncher he works all of the day it's arthur muncher the ticket puncher and what does he have to say and then it's like uh that what it's he about had to equal say pay was, and was, yeah yeah, right. yeah it was but it wasn't quite it wasn't so clear about equal pay and so forth but what he would say would would tie in what was at the time um, uh, kind of an increasing amount of, uh, of pro labor, uh, statements that would, that would go in there. And then, uh, there became a time where it was the munchers, uh, against the bosses. <laughs> oh. Uh, and so, uh, but that, that's where that song came from. And so for a while it actually became a song that you weren't allowed to sing if you were working, uh, you, you know, at a, 
if you're basically a, a working man, gotcha. it was viewed as uh, uh, dangerous labor cause, upheaval or yeah, yeah. cause for upheaval a little bit. Although it was so sing songy and fun that right. like, very clever. No, for a while. How about tie the knot and kiss my ass? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this one was interesting for for the research for me because um, I uh, I had you know it was kind of a funny a funny sounding uh, tune and I I thought it originally um, that it was going to be you know about about a donkey right because you think like of ah, course okay. it's not going to be um, your first be your about, first thought about, was that it was about a donkey that my first thought was it would be about a donkey okay. right and not not about a butt because usually when you have a uh, you know a, a word like that it's like it's you know it's it's a disguise for you know it's a it's a little joke and it's like no no we were talking about a donkey we we're talking about a donkey but it's not um, it is about butts okay and uh, <clears throat> what it was was a um, it was it was a, uh, a a song that came about um, from uh, fathers of the bride oh. who would sing it as kind of a toast oh, and it became a, a fairly popular toast in the 1920s, right before the economic uh, crash where um, uh, at the time the, uh, the fathers of the bride were spending exorbitantly wow, right. upon uh, these weddings and it was becoming more and more in vogue to, to push the limits. Remember the roaring twenties were just out of control in terms of the decadence and uh, everybody showing off and, um, and, and one of the primary things to show off on, especially in uh, developing like uh, kind of landed uh, gentry in New York culture, was um, was to, to outdo anybody on, on the best wedding. And so um, and so often they would spend so much it would, it would create a uh, uh, it, not not truly, but it would create a faux uh frustration with the daughter and the son-in-law because oh my god you're, you're putting me into the grave with right. the, uh, the cost but of course they were mostly like showing off against their friends uh-huh. and so they would have this uh like ribald drinking song that would come uh late late in the evening of a wedding so you get through all of the other stuff most of the focus of course is on the bride and sure, bride. sure but sure. at the end of at the end of uh, the evening one of the songs was uh, tie the knot and kiss my ass the father's and, the uh, father's song the late the late night was. crew yeah i hear you yeah. That's brilliant. And, uh, it was was made uh, kind of famous. Uh, I think it was Jimmy Cagney uh, who did who who did one of the last ones when the song had like kind of left uh, left wow. Vogue and and got caught on uh, uh, one of the you know somebody was there with an old timey camera oh. and caught him uh, like nineteen forties TMZ style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And he was he was lit up like a stovepipe. And uh, smoking two cigars, like he didn't realize he was so drunk, he had a cigar already in his mouth and didn't realize it. So he lit another cigar and put it in there one, and then sang this song. Uh, and that tie was kind of that, that, kiss my ass. Maybe maybe the end of tie, tie the knot and kiss my ass. So I'll, uh, that's that's brilliant, brilliant. Uh, so this next this the word I'm going to say three times is spelled S E W. Just so you know, it's okay. um, so 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 the needle, my only friend. Uh, yeah, let, um, less of a fun one, more of a, um, uh, a bit of a tough time. Uh, this was in, uh, something that came up in the in the Civil War, uh, mm. and it was a song oh. for, um, uh, from women who had lost uh, their husbands. Oh. Um, and 
uh, you know, specifically we're, we're working, uh, in, in, well, and not, not all these women had, of course, lost their husbands, but a lot of them were worried that that was the case. And some of them had, and, uh, it was a way to sing and a specific song about, um, their focus, right? The, the theme of it was like, get down to business. You're going to clear your mind. It's you're not doing yourself any good. Just sitting and worrying about, you know, cause the death toll was so dramatic and so horrible. You're not doing yourself any good thinking about those things, focus on your work. Gotcha. Uh, and, and so, um, there was a little bit of a, not tongue in cheek, but a little bit of a frustration within the song because, um, the women were, you know, frustrated with being kind of told what their emotions should be and how they ah, right. handle the, the horrors of, of war. And, uh, and so the, the, my only friend was, was viewed as a little, you know, a little bit of a, a dig uh-huh. at the men who were kind of telling them uh, how to do it. But it was nonetheless a working song during that time. Uh, and that's, that's what it was. You've done an amazing job. Cause I, I told you last week, you, you apropos of you did not know what just bone up on the songs of from America's past and like yeah, yeah, yeah. but I looked at all of them boy oh boy America's history so there's the last one and I hope it's uh I hope it's as fun as it sounds it's the the song titles two tons of trouble five pounds of fun oh yeah it is it okay is it a good time yeah, yeah. Oh, okay good 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 oh it's it's for sure that, that's one of my favorites and this was the introduction uh. Uh, the introduction of uh, the like the Model T more or less over uh, in London. Oh, okay. And so, um, what would happen was uh, there was um, a, a lot of folks wanted to get wanted to get cars. Mm-hmm. You know, Henry Henry Ford just pops off on the assembly line. And remember, like we're talking about a time where the a dollar then has is worth, you know, thousands of dollars now, right? We've had so many, well, not quite, but, but, but close, you know, a dollar is, is doubled in value like, uh, 25 times or so since, since that time period. And so, uh, it was hard to get these cars. They didn't cost, you know, that much, but they were, they were expensive. Then they were beyond the means for a lot of folks. Um, however, you could buy, uh, what was, what was the, the, the British version oh. of a Model T, and uh, it cost but five pounds. And uh, the, the knock on it was, you know how they say, like, if you have a Jaguar, you got to have one and then one for the garage. Uh, you got to own two Jaguars. Well, the whole thing was you could buy this this uh, this car uh, from London for five for five pounds was the shipping. Okay? Oh, and then because uh, the car was like, you know. 300 pounds or whatever uh, it cost. It was a fortune. It was more than people could afford, but you would spend the five pounds. They, it would come over on the ship and you would get it. And then they had for briefly until it was over, over utilized. They had a a, a brief rule where if you had it in the U S you could send it back. If it didn't, you know, if it didn't kind of work out and you had, you had like, you know, a, a few weeks before anybody would really notice so you, you, you could basically get your, your five pounds worth of fun and it was, you know, two tons was the weight of the car and you could drive that thing around for a little while. And so people got to pretend that they were living high on the hog and, and were rich enough to afford a car. 
got that one a little mixed up about a few points, but that's basically what it was. You know, Americans renting these British cars. I just realized as you were doing this, how many times we've actually had to make, we've made each other play that joke game without calling it, without calling it that, you know, like, <laughs> like we've made each other give entire oral histories of stuff just based on, on the title of something. <laughs> Uh, hey, great job i'm gonna go i can uh, I, you know, I love it you told me a week ago learn all those American yeah songs. yeah i guess it was more of just a recall exercise for you uh at yeah, that point that's all it was that's all it was all right so i've got what i'm gonna do two more yep i think you've got two more okay so the next one i want to do then tj is um uh here, here's the situation okay you're approached by the america the current american cultural Heritage Society. Okay. And it's not the American Cultural Heritage Society. It's the current American Culture Heritage Society. Okay. And they say, um, William Shakespeare, this guy wrote whatever, 30-something plays. I don't know how many plays. A lot of plays. And he wrote them 400 years ago. And for better or worse, we still, I mean, they are a huge part of you know, the cultural landscape, they're a huge part of our art- artistic performances. I mean, what would you guess is the percentage of all plays in the United States that are Shakespeare? I mean, it's probably over a percent. Yeah, five. Yeah, it might be like 5%. I mean, it's in- insane. This guy mm-hmm. has been dead for 400 years. Yep. Yeah, I know maybe Francis Bacon or maybe somebody else wrote some of these plays. and We can't be quite sure. But the bottom line is these plays got written. Over this period of time, they still they sell have, a lot of Bibles too, you know. Yeah, they've 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 they've, they've, uh, they've they've withstood the test of time. So they say to you, "What do you think is going to be the things that are happening now that have been created in the last mm. twenty five years?" Because Shakespeare had, I'll give you, I mean, he had thirty years, so I'll, I'll give you thirty years. So every anything made from nineteen ninety until today. And, and I don't care what the medium is. You can pick music. You can pick uh, television. You can pick cinema. You can pick something else entirely that is part of culture. You can pick art, paintings. I don't know. But name me two or three things that if you had to bet $1,000, you'd say people will still be consuming and enjoying from the 90, from the 1990s through the 2020 in, uh, in 2420, assuming we have like an earth there. But get pogged down in that right well what are they gonna good question good question um in the last 30 years uh it'll i I imagine it'll be intensely and incredibly advanced but some version of virtual reality Mm -hmm. okay i'm guessing that that will that will stick around um I my guess is as well as like some sort of um, EMD, some sort of EMD, electrical music, uh, electronica music. Am I saying that right? EM. What's like you know electronic music like Dead Mouse and uh, Skrillex and um, uh, I don't know. Electronica. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just going to be too easy. I, I think in the future we might become a really solitary society and. That some version of a way one person can make a lot of sound and music, and I don't think 
that that's that. oh EDM EDM sorry music. I had the last two yeah EDM yeah. um yeah electronic digital music um some version of that will will be around in four hundred years some way for some person with a keyboard or uh, a computer to make beep up 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 um trying to think of what else has been invented in the last any years. any particular artist or particular you know like do you, do you think any movie from the last 30 years will still be viewed with some frequency in someone in like 2420 someone as as the challenges change so here's like something like Stephen King I could see I could see surviving because I think some of the things will be so quaint that like first of all what was a St. Bernard and um <coughs> like St. Bernard's just run around and and like bite people that's how quaint is that in the way that like you know mary shelley's frankenstein is like okay so a mad scientist went down with a bunch of like old body parts and made this like monster you know that that things like that because we for as old as the as old as like dracula is or whatever and probably maybe even tales of that are are older that's lost none of its shine for our for our you know, for our society. So, um, I think something like Stephen King and as prolific as he was that he has a lot of chances of some of his, his books more than the films surviving, you know, surviving time. Um, what do you think about, is that, what about Harry Potter? Is there, is Harry Potter going to be read by people in, or digitally imbibed by people in 2420? I, I wonder and my my only wonder is is that i that if things you can actually do aren't so close to what would be considered magic <laughs> by then yeah. that maybe the the concept of magic will have been will lose some of its luster i don't know um cuz like i could see tolkien still still surviving but part of that is like that that can't be we're never going to see dragons and hobbits and and a place like the the shire and elves and you know and trees that that walk around i wonder if making being able to point something and make something appear isn't going to be like oh so a magic wand's just like our 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 uh you know our stylus our, right yeah our stylus stick yeah. so like yeah i can make a up whatever patronus pop out of this stylus stick right there and make the and make it run around run around it's i i think in a way i guess they would say shakespeare stuck around because it was so brilliant i think my lack of understanding of of shakespeare keeps me from seeing the brilliance that it is i i was not as taken by him uh his his works as as you know i've been told perhaps i i should have been um right. but like it's to decide what what remains quaint and not just hokey and outdated is a really difficult line to try and to try and find you know because there are there are probably however many books that were written in the same year as the hobbit um and maybe as well written have probably vanished away and would seem just hokum now um but for right. some reason that has stuck around and seems eternally interesting or cool i i wonder if um, oddly enough, if like Harry Potter is magical enough to maintain that magic. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I first of all, totally agree that like 
I mean, I, I like the Shakespeare plays, but it can't be that they've that they've lasted the test of time just on their quality, right? Mm. Like it, it's not, it's just not the case that these are the 20 best plays that anyone's ever written or thought about or whatever. And they, they can't be touched. Like instead somehow, some way they got swept along in a current of continual uh, review. And then they became part of a canon and then everyone had to study them. And then they're good enough that they get to stay and whatever. And maybe and at the time thinks, no one was doing a play within a play or a double suicide, you know, maybe it was like, challenging although it seems like the greeks wrote about just about everything too so right. yeah but you, you know you look at things like like bambi and the early disney stuff i think is always going to be viewed yeah. like i mean maybe not in 400 years and that's that wouldn't fit this ca- this question because it wasn't in the last 30 years but because it was the early disney and because disney created disney world and because it became a thing that became much greater than, than its quality, right? It just became a thing where it was like, it's a destination. I, I take, I go to Disney World and all that stuff. And I do think the fact that like Harry Potter World exists, I, I think they've they've taken that, that IP and, and Star Wars, of course, is from 1977. Yeah. I would kind of guess that Star Wars will not be around in 2400, but uh, it's, it's obviously... In, in my lifetime, one of the most like, um, you, you know, in, uh, enduring, uh, pieces of IP that you could, that yeah. you could imagine. And then I was trying to think of songs, you know, and, but like, I think like, look, it, it, you're right. It's gotta be a new type of, of music or something, because I think ultimately like with rock and roll, though, it's going to be the default back to like the sixties and the early days of that is what's going to what's going to survive the test of the next, you know, 50 years, let alone 400. It's really hard to think of this stuff. I wonder if our, if, you know, our movies about the future won't live so that people can like laugh at them in the way that like, you can look at movies from the sixties that were set probably in 2020, you know, and be like, Oh my God, look at how, look what they thought it was going to be like that. They're so far wrong on this. And so, you know, like so far behind on this and still so far ahead, like, we were having jetpacks and flying cars, you know, at, for this projected year for forever and pill oh, yeah. and pill uh, meals. The only thing we got was the was the Jetsons phone, you know, the like what we're using right now to record this. So it's the only right, thing we got. Right. We, we, we were much quicker with video conferencing <laughs> than anyone thought possible. But yeah, I mean, just, yeah, look at Back to the Future. Look at Airplane 2. You know, there's so many things where... <laughs> Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> Minority Report. We don't seem getting too close to yeah. Minority Report in some ways, but then like what Minority Report really got right was like advertising. I'm like, oh yeah, feels a lot. Oh like yeah, skin in my eyeball when I go on Facebook and I just talked about on shoes and somehow there's the damn on shoes. Yeah, or Blade Runner had that like floating advertisements and stuff. You know, the like yeah. ridiculous level to which like Times Square has arrived. Or all right, Rush. I also have a Murder Hornets one for you. One inspired by oh, by the nice. Murder Hornets. Here's the situation. You are brought into a clinician's office and sat at a table and are told that based on the charts they use to quantify pain levels, you are going to receive pain at the level two, at the level five, and also at the level nine. But they're going to allow you to choose whether you'd like it doled out in physical pain or emotional pain. So you can choose different ones for each pain level, but your recovery time is basically unknown. The, the 
the clinician can promise you that the pain, either emotional or physical, will not be permanent, but how long it lasts is basically up to your own recuperative powers. There is uh, no painkiller for either form. So there's there's no like automatic sedative or, you know, or um, like morphine for if you choose the physical pain and you only have your own main mental capabilities to deal with to deal with each. So would you like it doled out in physical pain or emotional pain? And is it different at the different levels? So my levels are two, five and nine. Yes. Oh, and the guy who got stung by a murder hornet who has been stung by just about everything said it might be like the most painful. That's what made me think like the most painful sting he's ever received from from anything. So, Great question. I, I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think a two. I'll take. Um, I think I'll just take a two emotional. OK. Um, Sometimes I think like the physical pain thing, I'm more worried about it coming than I am like the actual pain. Uh-huh. And uh, so like, you know, I don't get a ton of like shots and drug blood drawn and other stuff like that. But, um, you know, you're sitting in that chair waiting for like three minutes and I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to get pricked by the needle. Mm-hmm. And then like the needle, it's, it's irrelevant. Not it's like nothing yeah. burger, <laughs> you know. And so, so yeah, I'll, I'll just take the. But I don't like that uh, that, that waiting up. Yeah. for it to happen. So just give me the two emotional pain, which I guess is like you know the Braves losing a, a playoff series <laughs> right. or whatever. You know, it's uh, about the end of the world. Five. Um, who? Uh, I think five. Let me come back to five. So nine. Physical pain nine sounds horrific, obviously, and I don't know how long it's going to stick with me, but I, I think I still got to take it. I don't think I'm going to, I mean, I think I'm relatively tough emotionally and not that tough physically, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest, but I think that, um, I, I think at the high end, my, that normal uh, scale breaks down yeah. and I don't think, I don't think I could deal with long-term nine emotional pain. That, that just, that sounds horrible. Um, and I, I just don't even want to really think about it. So I'd rather just take the, the agony of this like kidney stone or mm-hmm. whatever. I guess kidney stone is probably 10. So this is like just short of that. And, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully it passes. Uh, before too long, you know, I had a leg cramp the other night. I'll tell you that, whatever that is, it can't, there can't be things that much more painful than, than the full on. Have you ever had a uh, quadricep leg cramp? No. You've had a calf cramp, right? A little bit. Yeah. 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 But nothing I would, so I nothing have, I couldn't stretch out fairly quickly. Yeah. But I probably have a calf cramp three nights, six nights a year or something like that. And it's, you know, you just wake up in this bolt of yeah. extreme pain and you're like, what is going on? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, it's just, you just got to wait. You're trying to breathe through it. You know, you're like, oh, ah, ah. <laughs> you like yelling. Uh, but I had a quad cramp and that was that was super, super horrible. Um, but anyway, uh, at the five, I think I, I think I'll take it in the I think I'll take the emotional. I think okay. that would fit more on my natural scale. But once we once we test the far ends, I'm, I'm unwilling. How about you? Uh, my my. Initial reaction was um, was physical at every was physical at every level. I think I've I've been around that nine emotionally, and it took, uh, it just ended up in such like a dark 
a dark, dark place with it. And, and the feeling of not knowing whether my emotions would ever be the same or I would ever be the same was so darn frightening. Um, but the one thing, the one argument I can make for emotional pain is that things can come out of it. Like I, you know, like from physical pain, you just don't feel, you just don't feel the pain anymore. You know, like maybe you appreciate being able to walk around a little bit more, but out of emotional pain, there is like growth that can happen or sometimes like art that happens out of it that, you know, like it sometimes emotional pain can lead to something or a next level in your own growth that it doesn't seem physical pain can, can get you to. So I think I would, even that said, I think I would, I would choose the physical pain at every level, I believe. See, I, and, and if, if I knew the duration, right, if you said mm-hmm. it's going to be for a month, I would say give me the uh, emotional pain every time. I don't want, I don't want to be in a nine physical pain for a month. Right. Uh, that, that's terrific. But if I don't know how long, and so it could just cascade like forever, this emotional pain, like I, I so, so again, you know, if it's, it's, if it's five minutes, uh, Maybe I maybe I have a different answer, but anyway, it's interesting because yeah. you don't know when it's going to go away. Knowing how bad it, it's going to be and knowing when it's going to stop is so is is such a, a determining factor. Like you you can put your own hand in a vice and crank that yeah. thing way tighter than if someone else's hand is on the crank. You know what I mean? Right. Like the perceived pain at a lesser degree is going to be so much higher because you don't know when it's going to stop and you don't know how bad it's going to, yeah. how bad it's going to get, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's important to me. Like even in like workouts, like I want to know, I want to know like, Oh, we're going to do this hard for two minutes. Yeah. Okay. It's, that's good to know. But I remember like a, a drill in, in when I was in like seventh grade where we were just doing this thing and we, no one knew when it was going to stop and uh-huh. we were like throwing <laughs> yeah. up and it was like, are, are the coaches just, have they lost their minds? Are they going <laughs> to just put us into the ground here? I don't know. Um, all right. Good one. Good one. Uh, so I just have one more TJ and then Great. we'll go back to the top. Sounds good. Uh, all right. So uh, I had to do it off of Hamlet to be or not to be probably the most famous speech in the history of, uh, in, in the history of, uh, of theater, right? I'm guessing um, so. I remember watching the play and, and, and you know, when, when it comes to, to be or not to be, everybody's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's right. like when you this hear the it. title of a movie <laughs> in the middle of the movie. Um, and so I, I you know, I, I couldn't help but do this. Uh, here's the situation. I'm going to give you a bracket of oh. 16 okay. of the greatest movie speeches ever given by 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 uh, male characters uh you never ever ever have to feel anything but but you should always feel great if if what you said is i've made a bracket don't ever feel like i had to do this Uh, you know like that almost felt like there was a a part of an apology if you're putting me into a bracket then uh, i'm always only going to feel joy about it yeah no i I, i'm not i love it i'm excited to do it (laughs) These are these are sixteen of the. I'm not going to say they're the sixteen okay. greatest. You could you could argue, but these are sixteen excellent, famous speeches by male characters in movies. We're going to do a bracket. We're going to see which one comes out on top for you. I'm pretty sure. I know which one would for me. I'm pretty sure that's not going to be the one you pick. But I'm, I'm very interested. Am I um, judging on just per, uh, personal taste or like some ideal of like this is the best? I'm going to say personal taste. Great. What do you think? But but I want it to be favorite speech for you. Great. So and it might be different. If we did the bracket tomorrow, you might be like, ah, oh, more in the mood for that speech. But 
think of it this way. Perfect. You're going to sit down and watch these speeches. Which one is, is going to have you finishing being like, that was the better speech? I can line. do it. You can't handle the truth is in there, right? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know whether it's in there or not. I do know. I know whether it's in there. And I'll tell you this. It's not in there. Okay, so, great. All right. Uh, number uh, first yep. up is um, Believe Tom Robinson. Gregory Peck's Atticus Finch uh, closing argument in To Kill a Mockingbird, and that is up against Cinderella's story, Bill Murray in Caddyshack when he's out uh, uh, hitting the uh, hitting hitting the plants uh, with his with his rake. It's great. It's a great Which first one? great first round game. Great first round game. I'm going. I'm going with Atticus. Okay. All right. Uh, next up, we've got uh, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore mm-hmm. from Network. Up against, I'm just getting warmed up. Al Pacino, Scent of a Woman, uh, where he gives the final speech to uh, to get Chris O'Donnell uh, off at that uh, tight ass boarding school. Give me Peter Finch. All right, we got Atticus Finch against Peter Finch <laughs> in the all, next round. I got all uh, Finch bracket. <laughs> golden, yeah, Golden Finch situation. All right, um, next up we have. Uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, mm-hmm. Alec Baldwin, not in the play, but in the movie, ABC, Always yep. Be Closing, famous opening to that movie, Alec Baldwin, and he is up against uh, uh, Luckiest Man on Earth, Pride of the Yankees, speech by uh, Gary Cooper. Lou Gehrig, yeah. uh, who, who wins that one. I'm going to go with Gary Cooper as Lou Gehrig there, that's, that's, that's a pretty big one. I was going to see that one higher, except for, you know, it is a guy in a Yankee uniform. And it is but, like, uh, you know, kind of like it's it's a it's a quote more than, you know, more than the work. I mean, it was it was Lou Gehrig's work of literature or whoever helped him out. But, yeah, it was But I'm right. still going to go with it. It's so iconic. Now, next, I have one that, that for most people, I would have made the one seed. I didn't for you, but it's it's still a high seed. Um, they can never take our freedom. Mel Gibson. Braveheart. Okay. And that is up against Carpe Diem, Seize the Day, Robin Williams in uh, Dead Poets Society. For me, Carpe Diem. All right. All right. Uh, On to the second half of the bracket. Second half of the bracket. First up, we've got uh, George C. Scott, one of the greatest actors of all time, Mm -hmm. opening speech to the troops in the movie Patton. Patton, okay. And he's up against Steve Martin giving a speech is lucky day in three amigos in which he says we all have our own el wapo <laughs> it could be shyness for others it happens to be a man who's trying to come and kill us who also happens to be the actual el wapo what's uh who wins between george c scott and steve Martin? the less the less fun but i'm going with george c scott finch all right <laughs> <laughs> the c was for finch <laughs> the C is for finch. all right uh Next up, we've got uh, Morgan Freeman, yep. uh, Get Busy Living or Get Busy Dying, mm-hmm. uh, Shawshank Redemption, uh, his his monologue uh, towards the end of the movie when he's uh, out on parole, um, up against, uh, I have a very special set of skills, Liam Neeson, mm-hmm. taken. Uh, tough to beat Shawshank, any part of it, um, in, in relation to what we said earlier. Pretty damn close to a perfect movie. My favorite movie of all time. Yeah, pretty damn, pretty damn close to perfect. I'm going to go with Morgan Freeman. 
Okay. I, I love that taken speech, though. I had to throw it in there. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> uh, uh, next up, uh, Samuel Jackson, Pulp Fiction speech okay. to Tim Roth at the end, although you could you could say multiple speeches that he gives in that movie, but the Ezekiel quote uh, speech to Tim Roth, uh, Tim Roth uh, up against Greed is Good, Gordon Gecko, Wall Street. Gordon Gecko. classic and the final the final two in here um just before i say these two uh-huh. what 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 speech are you hoping I, t- I told you uh you can't handle the truth is not in there what 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 speeches are you hoping? i'm not going to change it but what speeches are you hoping you're like boy rush really blew it if you left this in. oh no I'm, I'm not i i i will answer the first part of that what i'm what i'm hoping is in there but not that you blew it for whatever reason, it was Bill Murray's it was Bill Murray's speech in Meatballs that I find the the more compelling. The "It just doesn't matter" speech before nice. before the camp competition. Um, um, uh, Belushi and Animal House. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Um, those two came to mind most quickly. I'm blanking on other on other stuff. The first I one was "You can't handle the, the truth." I the first put the Belushi in there. Yeah. Um, I, I love that lucky, lucky day speech is my favorite yeah. comedy speech, but, uh, most people would have put that one in there. Um, but my last two, oddly enough, I got Robin Williams in here twice, oh. um, but my last two, uh, is, um, Robin Williams Jaws. and Mrs. Doubtfire when he says you, you have, <laughs> yeah. when he says, hello, uh, so the first is the USS Indianapolis, but, sure. we, but we delivered the bomb. Robert Shaw, yeah. Jaws, uh, up against, um, uh, did you, sorry, Robin Williams. Uh, uh, I can't find it. It's it's, it's going to be Robert. Hunting. It's going to be Robert uh, Shaw. Your, okay, but it's, it's it's the Your Move Chief uh, speech on the bench yep. to Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting. Remember that one? Yes, a good All one. Right. Robert right, Shaw. So uh, b- deliver the bomb wins, uh, Robert Shaw. Okay, so final eight. Uh, Atticus Finch, remember Tom Robinson? Um, uh, up against uh, Peter Finch, mad as hell. The Battle of Finches. I'm actually going with Peter. Peter Finch, mad as hell. Can't take it anymore. Gary Cooper. Uh, and, uh, he loses. Pride of the Yankees up against Robin Williams, Carpe Diem. Carpe Diem over, over that one. All right. George C. Scott in Patton against Morgan Freeman in Shawshank Redemption, Get Busy Living or Dying. Shawshank. You and probably finally, will, for our listening audience, if 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 your recording stuff is really good, you will probably hear our dog uh, snoring in the background for for a little bit. But she hasn't been feeling well, so you you're just gonna have to deal with Josie's with Josie snoring because she's more important than any of you. Uh, all right, Gordon Gecko against uh, Greed is Good against Robert Shaw, but we delivered the bomb. Robert Shaw. Uh, all right, Matt as hell, Peter Finch against Carpe Diem uh, from. Dead Poets Society. Peter Finch. And Morgan Freeman, uh, Get Busy Living or Dying, Shawshank Redemption, against uh, Robert Shaw, USS Indianapolis. Robert Shaw. All right. And your finals, Robert Shaw against against Peter Finch. Who you got? Robert Shaw. All right. We agree. That's, for me, by far the best speech in movie history. No kidding. Yep. I added it to the two seed. It would have been one seed for me. (laughs) Uh, uh, and, and I, I think we, we would have had the same semifinals with that. Shawshank would have been a big, a, a tough battle, a tough battle. 
That was Shawshank uh, was on the same side as, as Shaw, right? It was yeah. on the same side. Shaw, Shawshank, Shawshank. <laughs> uh, Finch, the, uh, Finch, Finch, and Shawshank, Shawshank, Shaw. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, Shaw, Shank, Shaw Shank in the semifinals. We are back to the top. So here's the situation. You look up to see a microphone in front of your face. You look down to see a laminated card with a number on it attached to a string around your neck. You turn behind you and see a big sign that says Scripps Howard Toonby, a spelling competition using names and words related to music and song. Oh, no. Then oh, you hear Mr. Howell, your word is Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky. Dead? Or am I going to be killed here? Is I going to try to spell Tchaikovsky? It's from the Russian. Would you like me to use it in a sentence? Um, yes. After drinking his too hot tea at the Mountain Lodge, it was a Tchaikovsky for Tchaikovsky. You're spelling the second Tchaikovsky. <laughs> okay. Can I spell the first one? Uh, no, those are three different words. We're just, just, <laughs> I, know, just one word. I know, but I can, I can spell that. This one word, Tchaikovsky. Uh, can I have the uh, language of origin of Russian. It again, please? It's Russian. Um, can you pronounce it again, please? Tchaikovsky. There are no alternate pronunciations. Um, can I... Could I hear it in a different sentence? Yeah, sure. One of the five major Russian composers of all time <laughs> includes the name Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky. Okay. Tchaikovsky. Um, I'm <laughs> uh, T. Mm-hmm. Uh, C. H. I. Ding. Okay. I'm sorry, Mr. Howell. You will be allowed to go on. It's more of like a horse kind of thing where you get you get your first letter. Um, T-C-H. A- Is it A-I? A-I, yeah. K-O-V- I'm not a good speller. S-K-Y. K-O-V-S-K-Y. Mr. Howell, you're right up again. Your word is, or words are, Def Leopard. Def Leopard. Um... Can I have a discography? Um, pyromania, photograph. Uh, <laughs> that's that's about as far as I could go. It's Latin okay. to English um, to Sheffield, more specifically. Uh, can I hear it in a uh, sentence, please, involving uh, Def Leppard? Okay, of course. Because the Vietnam vet blew up his old grenade too close to his jungle cat, his Deaf Leopard can't listen to Deaf Leopard. <laughs> You'll be spelling the second Deaf Leopard. Can I spell the first one? Um, no, the second one is the one we required. Okay. Um, D E F space L E P P. A-R-D? Absolutely correct. Absolutely right. correct. <laughs> you're, you're moving on. You're moving on to the next oh, word. Thank goodness. Your words are Leonard Skinnerd. Leonard Skinnerd. Um, I, I got to hear the sentence. Uh, Leonard Skinnerd named the band Leonard Skinnerd after their gym teacher, Leonard Skinnerd. You'll be spelling the first two Leonard Skinnerds. 
Is it spelled differently than yes. their gym teacher? Yes. They got it wrong. Yeah. On purpose. Uh, on purpose, I think. Uh, origin? Latin to English to Southern Fried. Uh, most famous song? Probably Sweet Home Alabama. Greatest power ballad? Uh, Tuesday's Gone with the Wind. Most reviled song? <laughs> Probably Sweet Home Alabama. Maybe Freebird for people who have been to a lot of concerts. All right. Yeah, I was going to say guaranteed encore. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, Leonard Skinner, L-Y-N-A-R-D space S-K. I'm sorry. L-Y-N-Y-R-D. S-K-Y-N-Y-R-D. Was going to get both words wrong. All right, uh, Mr. Howell, the last one is the toughest word um, of your your words are Husker do. Husker do. Uh, Husker do. Uh, could I have that in a uh, sentence, please? Um, yes. To rehearse the talking head psycho killer, Husker Du was a, um, sorry. Oh, wait a minute. No. Husker Du was a very cool indie rock band. Bob Mould went on to form the band Sugar in the early 90s, which was also excellent. But first, he was in Husker Du. You'll be spelling either of the Husker Dus. Uh, am I, this may not be allowed. Is there an umlaut, at least one umlaut in the spelling? Yes. Okay. Uh, I believe I've seen this fairly recently. Mm -hmm. I think it's H-U with an umlaut over it. S-K-E-R space D I, I another U. I think D with U. And anything else on the last an umla, umla yes. Over the, yes. Yes. Okay. Ding ding. You yeah. won. You won, yeah, Rush. Yeah. That was Woo. that was your tune B. Very nicely done. <laughs> yes. Yes. Who's gonna do? All right. And that was Danish right. to Norwegian to mistaken French while trying to rehearse the Talking Heads Psycho Killer. That's how they. That's how they arrived at Husker Do. So you're a winner, and hopefully everyone in the audience feels like one, even though I said they're less important than Josie. We thank Nate and, <laughs> and Julie and Emily Cardamus. Um, we've, we've been notified. I think this will probably still be before Rush. Do we think this will be before the, the anniversary one? I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we've been told by, um, by our producer, Nate DeFort, that we're actually coming up on our year one anniversary, and we are trying to put together a little something that we hope you uh, enjoy in the next uh, next week or two for the one-year anniversary. Thank you for any of you who listened at all. Thank you very much to those of you who might have listened the entire time, and we hope to talk to you again next week.